Let's be honest. Life's hard sometimes. We get discouraged, struggle in our faith, and it's easy to feel alone. Despite how you might feel sometimes, know that God's got your back. And so do we. Vision's prayer line team are ready to pray for whatever you're going through. Text your prayer request to 0401 132 888 and we will be praying for you. Or click prayerline at vision.org.au. That's 0401 132 888 or vision.org.au. It's another way Vision is helping you look to God daily. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. And ask the question today, what happens when we excuse ourselves from the obligations of the gospel? Now, what does all that mean? You might know that every leader in Christian churches is on a very steep learning curve. To go from new convert to follower to disciple and then to become a leader, well, that's quite a process, isn't it? And it might be a surprise that throughout the world, the church is growing so rapidly that uh, we're nowhere near enough leaders to meet the demands of growing church, especially on continents like Africa or South America. In fact, in the developing world, something like 95% of those who are in leadership, call them pastors, in the developing world have no formal qualification at all. So who teaches them about godliness as leaders? So what are the qualities that are not negotiable for Christian leaders? What about godliness as a leadership virtue? And what happens if we excuse ourselves from meeting those sorts of obligations? And what can we learn from the Bible as the essential qualities of a godly leader? Well, our special guest through this coming hour, Dr. Gary Miller, is Principal of the Queensland Theological College in Brisbane. He's also co-founder and head of the Gospel Coalition Australia. Interestingly, after studying chemistry, he turned his focus to theology, and he teaches in Old Testament, pastoral ministry, and preaching. Gary Miller, a special welcome along to 2020. It's great to be with you again, Neil. Gary, tell us a little about your role as principal at QTC, and uh, we've had you on before talking about QTC, but uh, what's your role and how are things going? Yeah, well, my role, I really think of it as being in a way, the senior pastor of the college. I, I'm a pastor by background. I was a pastor in Ireland for nearly 18 years. Uh, was uprooted slightly reluctantly, um, not to, reluctantly to come to Australia, but reluctantly to move into theological education. It's a great thing to invest in, but it's not, it's not quite the same as the local church. So we think of ourselves as one step back from the coalface. But we do have the privilege and the challenge of trying to equip people who are sent to us by the local church to serve the local church for the for the rest of their lives in whatever capacity. So it's essentially it's my role to do everything, to lead a staff, to speak into the lives of students with the great goal of seeing the local church flourish across Queensland and beyond. Isn't it interesting that when you contrast a theological institution that you're leading uh, with a secular education institution, because there's a dimension that's not there if you went to any old university, that when you go to a theological college, you're interested not only in what happens cognitively, the way people think and the way they understand knowledge, but there's a whole life that you're shaping. So when you've got someone 
you know, you're a raw recruit. Uh, you know, you've got that first year intake and yep. you get people, they're coming along. Uh, by the end of their three or four year degree, um, there's something that's changed. How do you describe what happens when you're in that sort of process of change and growing and developing into someone who's equipped to be a leader? I think at heart it is quite simple. What we want to see is uh, people being mastered, shaped, formed by the gospel, um, growing in their knowledge of themselves and of God. It's quite deliberate that at college, we start every week with college chapel. Um, Normally I preach, we're working through Matthew's gospel at the moment, but we do that quite deliberately because it's vital for the students that they never lose sight of the fact that this ultimately is God speaking to us through his word as we reflect on what people have said about it across the centuries. But it is actually about hearing God's, God speak to us through the Bible and bringing our minds, our thinking, our lives into line with that. And so a little bit like church, then every conversation that we have flows out of God speaking to us first and in effect us talking about how we live this out and how does this fit and is that true or is that false and how does this play out in today's world, which is part of the reason why where we have the luxury of doing this in a country like Australia, uh, three or four years theological education I think is peerless because we say to students again and again, you know, this is like an extended visit to the servo that's designed to keep you on the road for the rest of your lives. And we're heartened to see the students themselves after a year or 18 months realizing, if you like, how little we know <laughs> and that we need to take every opportunity we possibly can to to fill up for the journey ahead and to develop the kind of habits and attitudes that will see us serve the local church well. And ultimately, you're hoping that what is sown as a seed in that time in a theological college will become a passionate pursuit of lifelong learning so that you've got this growing character, not someone who says, I've got a certificate on the wall now and that's my qualification. Uh, been there, done that, now I just do what I'm you know, going through the motions. It is a lifelong process. But let me ask you about this because when we talk about Bible colleges, theological studies and those sorts of things, sometimes there's this perception that it's only about someone who's training to be a pastor or a priest, someone who's going to lead a church. What percentage would you say, Gary, uh, of people actually go to a theological training and they're not necessarily pursuing that church leadership, but they've got their community or their business interest in mind and they want to be effective Christian leaders? Yes, I would say about 50% of the people who come to our college end up in some kind of paid or formal ministry role. And the the other half come and uh, some of them work in the CBD, for example, come to classes on Monday night. They have no intention of ever doing anything other than that. Come Monday night, they continue to serve in their local churches whilst doing a regular job or bringing up a family. They're also, of that 50%, we find there are a reasonable number who start their journey thinking, I just want to be a better you know, Bible study group leader or I just want to do kids ministry a bit more effectively. But the problem with studying God essentially is that as soon as we start studying theology, we go, oh, you know, there's so much more here. I mean, I teach Old Testament, you know, and 
this semester we're covering for the first year's Genesis to the end of Second Kings in a semester. Now, that's brilliant for getting the flow of the Old Testament and how it leads us to Jesus and how it's rich and exciting and vibrant. But we don't have a lot of time to stand around and admire the view. So often people get a taste and then say, okay, I need a little more and a little more. We're going to focus on this word godliness uh, through our conversation. And for listeners, uh, it'll come up time and again, I suspect, uh, while the remainder of our conversation continues. When we talk about godliness, is there a way you can simply define what godliness is? I think godliness is one of these extra dimensions that you get when you're putting that alongside the knowledge you're learning. How do you describe it, Gary? Yep, I think godliness is um, the essential, it's an umbrella term which sums up what it means to live in a way which is like the Lord Jesus and pleasing to our Heavenly Father. You could almost substitute holiness. You know, God says, be holy for I am holy, uh, although that focuses especially on being different and being morally pure. Godliness is, is even broader. So it's living in the way which God asks us to live, which in turn obviously reflects the way in which our God, Father, Son, and Spirit lives. And what sort of people turn up in Bible college? People who've grown up in a Christian family, they're a part of a local church, you know, they've like, you know, they've grown up, their whole life has been yep. shaped by that. Or are you finding that people have come to Christ uh, perhaps later in their life or their young adult years? And to go to Bible college, that's like a crash course. Everything looks completely different when you're looking at things. What sort of you know uh, environment do you find that people are in? Well, we honestly, people come from all kinds of backgrounds. Every journey is different. We we have uh, we have a guy just finishing now. He he and his wife are from Berlin in uh, in Germany. They became Christians through her hairdresser after living in Brisbane for a few years. Um, they went to church. I met them about uh, six weeks later. Within a year, they'd said, we just need to find out more. And they both came to college, and he's about to start uh, a role as a pastor, kind of four years on. So you get that kind of crash course, and then you get lots of people who've grown up in church, and it's been a gradual process, and people have encouraged them, given them opportunities, and bit by bit, they thought, yes, this is for me. What about the thought of being a part of a Bible college where you are rubbing shoulders with others who've come from all of these various backgrounds and uh, you become friends and colleagues with those that you're studying with? Because some might be thinking, well, I can do this theological study online. I'm a little bit detached. Uh, What's the value of actually being part of a cohort of students all studying together? Well, it's a great question. I think that that's a question we have to answer less often after COVID. Yeah. <laughs> because I think after, after <laughs> yeah. we all had to do church online, I, we, we didn't really then need to explain what the difference between doing church online and being with God's people is. It's just online is a great gift, but there's something very different in being in a room with people, and it's the conversations before, during sometimes, and after. It's the opportunity to to ask questions. It's actually being part of a community where we kind of serendipitously bump into people and often a, a quiet word, you know, with someone that you've just 
you've just literally bumped into in the corridor has as much effect as, you know, 20 minutes impassioned teaching in the classroom. That's when the penny drops. And also, you know, theology, the Bible, the history of the church, these are massive subjects. And there are tricky issues and personal issues. And we all bring our own biases and hang-ups and misapprehensions. And, and as in church in general, we do actually need each other to help one another get things straight as we seek together to find the mind of God and then live it out. So, you know, we offer online. We, you know, there are people who cannot get to Southeast Queensland to study. We want to equip and serve them. But it's actually a different thing, being in the room, being part of a community with brothers and sisters as together we submit to the truth of God. And these are ways that godliness can develop in an individual. Let's come back to this word godliness. Uh, For those who might be thinking, uh, is there a particular verse in the Bible that uh, describes what godliness is or what godliness is not? Or is there a passage or is there a particular book? How do you think you start the best way to actually just get an understanding of what godliness is? Because I want to be able to touch on what are the consequences of ignoring what godliness is, but we better define what godliness is perhaps from the Bible uh, before we get into what consequences might that mm. might lead to. I think there is a sense in which wherever you cut into the Bible, you will you will see godliness, you know, like the rings of a tree. You know, so if you jump into the Old Testament, even some of the passages, the Torah, the law, what you will see is a description of the beautiful life that we are called to as the people of God. And that is a picture of godliness. You know, if you want the full orbed picture, you know, go read Deuteronomy twelve to twenty six. You know, the, the Ten Commandments will give you a snapshot. You know that that when you cut into any narrative, you will see, you know, individuals living in ways that please God, and those who don't, they build up the picture. Jesus Himself ultimately embodies godliness, and when we read the Gospels or read Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount, you see Jesus describing the kind of life that we're called to, and then often, I mean almost pick any epistle, that either you will see the life that God is calling to us now, or even on occasion, the way our life will be in the new creation when all is restored. So any of those kind of cross sections will give us a picture of what it is like to live with and for and in this God, Father, Son, and Spirit. So godliness in that sense, it's a little like the glory of God, you know, that where do you see the glory of God? Well, you see glimpses of it everywhere, but doing justice to the whole thing is terribly difficult. Godliness is is our almost like our equivalent. <laughs> where do you see godliness? You see it almost everywhere in different ways. And if we're going to see that godliness in people, yeah. it's not just uh, how you might think of some sort of airy-fairy definition of uh, what, you know, the glory of God might look like. Yes. Uh, And it's not just what you believe. I imagine this godliness, if it's going to be seen in the individual, it's going to be outworked in the way that an individual behaves. Are we right into where this actually really matters now? Because how you behave at the end of the day is a demonstration of godliness? Absolutely. So if you take something like the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, you know, godliness is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You know, 
it, and and it's interesting. It is a singular fruit. You know, there it's that's the package. And when we see in ourselves or in other people something that is quite clearly off, because one or all of those aspects aren't visible, then we need to start asking questions because something has gone wrong when godliness isn't displayed. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision Christian Radio. Well, we're talking godliness and uh, you might be thinking, well, that doesn't sound like a very important topic. Actually, it may be one of the most important topics we talk about on the radio. 1-800-316-316. If you'd like to join in our conversation today, you might have a question, you might have a comment, you might even have a critique for the way we're addressing this. But 1-800-316-316. Dr. Gary Miller is our guest. Uh, Gary, when we're talking godliness... Sometimes telling people what godly is is a good thing, but sometimes we actually learn a whole lot more when there are illustrations of ungodliness. And we might all be able to point to a leader or two who demonstrated ungodly character in an extreme way and that really got under our skin. How do you describe uh, some of the ways we might talk about uh, leadership and, and the way we sometimes fail? Yeah, one of the, the, the things that prompted me thinking about this entire subject was the repeated experience of seeing leaders, whether internationally or just in my own circles, uh, crash and burn quite spectacularly. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that in every case, one of two things was going wrong. Either the individual themselves had got to the place where they were excusing things that all right-minded Christian brothers or sisters would have said, that's off. Or they had separated themselves from everyone else so that they were off on their own and those around him were either too afraid or too in awe to ever say, don't you realize what you're doing? And I think when you start to think about those two things, how we take responsibility for our own godliness and how we ensure that we are accountable to other people. Well, well, actually, it just makes sense that every leader at every level in the Church of the Lord Jesus needs to have both those things in place. So every local church uh, where there are people who are functioning in some level of leadership role, might be the children's ministry or the youth ministry or young adults ministry, families, uh, seniors, there needs to be a developing godliness and that accountability that comes. And I imagine this is an important element too, isn't it? Sometimes we wonder that the, the pastor preaches a message on a Sunday, but the pastor has a responsibility for helping that accountability to work so that we can grow in a godly life. Yep, I think everyone needs to be accountable. And I think, I think the, the first lesson is actually in how we deal with younger people. What do we look for? Now, I think when I think of my experience, I had lots of people over me giving me opportunities to do things. I think with hindsight, if I'd been in charge, I wouldn't have allowed me to do half the things. (laughs) But I think what people were looking for was actually ability. And they were more interested in ability or giftedness than they were godliness. And I think those of us who are older have to be careful because, of course, we want to nurture and be encouraged, be encouraging and give opportunities. But at the end of the day, 
without godliness, leadership will crash and burn and hurt people. And I think that's the first thing we need to think about that, that sometimes we can be, we need to be a little bit more judicious in our encouragement and make sure that as we're cheering people on saying, yes, that was great, you did a great job, that we're not actually making it harder for them to grow in godliness by giving them a, an inflated view of their own ability. And when we've got young people assuming positions yep. of leadership, uh, yep. there needs to, I guess, be a graciousness because it's very easy to be judgmental when not all of the pieces are in the puzzle altogether. Oh, absolutely. We, we I think we have to be to to allow you know teenagers to be teenagers, twenty year olds to be twenty year olds, and so on. I think as we get older, I mean, I'm not you know in my fifties. It's very easy to start you know expecting twenty five year olds to have you know. 40 years experience and the energy of a you know, of a young person and on I think we do need to be gracious and that's actually partly where accountability comes in because we need to make sure that we're not just sending people out on their own even you know to a, a little you know corner of the ministry in our local church saying you you go, go do that when you've mastered that, you move on to greater things. But that at every step, you know, there are people around caring, looking out for, supporting, cheering, and it's all taking place in an atmosphere of accountability in the local church, whatever the shape of your local church. And there's always, I imagine, for the young leader, or perhaps for any leader, there is an aspiration to a godly life. We want to be more like Christ. We want to believe what Jesus believed so we can behave like Jesus behaved, a godly life. But oftentimes, temptation, uh, all sorts of things can go wrong. And you've got the introduction of living a double life, looking godly on the outside, but far from godly on the inside. How do you... How do you uh, assess what what happens? And, you know, life can be long for a lot of people and you can go through all sorts of transitions in that time. Yes, I think often circumstances change and new things come your way. But what I have noticed, and I suppose what I've wrestled with myself, there are points where, where people start to say, but I'm now the pastor, therefore I don't need to do this. I always remember I'm greatly indebted to my dad. You know, I grew up in a in a new church in a large housing area. It was basically a large box. We had to put out 400 chairs every Sunday, and I think for my dad, uh, godliness boiled down to one thing. You know, the highest con- condemnation he ever had for anyone was he doesn't help with the chairs. <laughs> and, that, and that, but that was actually a real thing because it, in some cases it was a sign. I'm now. I'm now above being a servant. I am, I am served. And, and I think as soon as we've done that, we've actually let go of part of what Jesus says to us in the, in the New Testament. If Jesus you know, didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, then I think it's fair to say that we will never get beyond serving others. So I think as individuals, we have to make sure that we're not just starting to pick and choose You know, so sometimes we say this, you know, like, oh, you know, I'm an extrovert, therefore, or I'm a plain speaker. So I just tell people the way it is. Uh, When you read the New Testament, yes, there are times we have to courageously warn, but there, there are other times where we have to hold our tongue. There are other times we have to speak gently. We have to love and encourage. And I think as soon as we get to the point where we go, I am this, 
so therefore I don't need to bother with these little details. I just get on with that. So some level of self-evaluation could happen even in the instant we're talking right now. Yeah. Uh, you could say, have I reached a point where I no longer acknowledge you know, Jesus overturning leadership, lording it over others, but yeah. actually the one who is the servant yep. uh, can be the greatest. You can do that, that self-evaluation in a moment. Yeah. I, I think one of the most helpful questions that um, – that anyone can ask me or I can ask anyone is, what is what is God teaching you at the moment? You know, what has God said to you through his word this week? And I always think I spend a lot of time around pastors and occasionally I've been in groups where everyone will just go around and, and share one thing like that. Where the pastor shares something from what he's preparing for his sermon, it's always a bit of a giveaway or where someone says, oh, yes, you know, some weeks ago, this was what God said to me, or months ago. I think we want to be kind of serving up fresh bread to others, but we actually need daily bread ourselves. And I think that that basic, the basic rhythm of reading your Bible, praying, asking God to speak to you, and being in a position to say, this is what God's teaching me. This is what I'm struggling with. This is what I need help with just now. I think that's always a really reliable guide to the, the the warmth, the health of our relationship with the Lord Jesus, and that's where it begins. In fact, uh, Gary, before we go any further, let's take a call. Let's hear from Anita, who is in Collie in Western Australia. Hi, Anita. Welcome. Thank you, Neil, and thank you, Dr. Gary. Um, I just want to say your words are so uplifting, and they're a, a really gentle reminder that to speak God's word, to behave in his way, no matter whether you're a leader or not, as an adult, to, to behave in a way that brings you closer to Jesus um, and to read your Bible and seek the Holy Spirit for revelation knowledge is, is the only way we will come closer to the Lord um, in our behavior and our thoughts. So thank you. You've, you've really um, uplifted me this morning. Wonderful, Anita. Gary, your thoughts for Anita? Uh, thanks so much, Anita. That's very encouraging. I think the longer I go in the Christian life, again, whether as a leader or not, I, I do think it's it's not all that complicated. Uh, at points it's hard, but God helps us. But it is actually relatively simple that we do what God asks as he speaks to us and gives us resources through the Holy Spirit. So we thank for that and delighted that we're able to be an encouragement to you um, on the other side of the continent this morning. And Anita, while I've got you on the line, uh, one of the things that Gary said that was, I thought, really outstanding when he was talking about the rhythm of our Christian life, uh, this uh, pray and read your Bible and share your faith, I think that was uh, part of the rhythm, uh, getting into the rhythm is getting into a rhythm of godliness. A thought or two here, uh, Gary, just while we've got Anita, because I think I suspect this is the sort of thing Anita was talking about, the profound simplicity, but is so important. Yep, I do think it's something we need to continue to emphasize just now. Um, I mean, I have three young adult daughters, so I'm kind of aware of you know, what's going on with people in their, their early 20s and late teens. I think in, in Australia today, people don't, they don't do anything they don't want to. You know, it's give me a reason to do this. Persuade. It's not about routine or duty or habit. 
one of the challenges for us as the church is that we do encourage those growing up in the church, encourage people who come to faith to get into that pattern of reading God's word day by day by day. At one level, it's not sexy, but it really is the most important thing that we can do. And there's no guarantee, you know, it's not every time we open the Bible, we feel like the words jump out of the page and our hearts start racing. But uh, if we don't open the Bible, that's definitely not going to happen. So I think we do just need to bang on about this. Anita, thank you so much for your call. You're welcome. Thank you so much. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation today as we're talking about godliness. Let's take another call. David is in Casino in New South Wales. Hi, David. Welcome. Thank you very much for listening. What are your thoughts, David? Well, my thought is to live a life of godliness. It's it's more than, than just going to church and listening to the pastor. It's an everyday walk, and sometimes you feel discouraged, even though that I read my Bible and I pray every day, because I've got to have it, it's my food. And sometimes I feel pressured by the enemy, and I do stumble and I do fall, and to take my faults to my pastor, I find it very difficult, because we live in the end days. And sometimes pastors are not talking about the end days. They just want to live in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, which is all good. And it's it's just mind-boggling to me why we just can't all come together as one and just be a family. And it's hard for me to explain. Mm-hmm. It is a thought or two from Gary. Yep, I think I think you're you're exactly right about family. We do need each other. And, you know, our families, you know, the people generally, you know, if we live in a house with them, we don't just say, oh, you know, let's meet, you know, Sunday lunch, you know, for, for an hour and talk then. We actually need to talk every day. We share meals together. We, we do life together. And I think as God's people, one of the things that God has given us isn't just pastors and leaders. It's, it's actually brothers and sisters around us. And what we need to do is to have, you know, we're having this conversation kind of over the phone or online, but what we need to do is have those daily conversations with brothers and sisters saying, how are you going? I'm finding it hard. You know, let's remember Jesus is with us. He is for us. We talk about the struggle together and we cheer each other on because that's one of the precious gifts that our God has given us. David, while we've got you, sure, what were you going to say? What happens? What happens when you fall short and and you feel that condemnation, and it's a struggle to 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 get that connection. I know it's all false because it comes yep. from the enemy, but as a a fleshy human part of it, it's difficult because you feel that condemnation and you struggle with it, and it's hard to to reconnect that line with God. Yep. And just feel his love in your heart, even though he loves me unconditionally. Yep. I think I think you're actually starting to do the right thing, because what we need to do is preach the gospel to ourselves over and over and over again. Because we do know that Jesus died for us, that he rose again, that we've been united to Christ by faith. If we put our trust in him, we are utterly secure. The problem is it doesn't feel like that. You know, Monday, Wednesday and Friday. What do we need to do? We need to remind ourselves that actually this is who we are. 
This is what Christ has done for us, that we live in grace, not condemnation. And we hear those words from Romans 8, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And that's when we need to take hold of that again, get up, give it another go. Well, we've got David. Sometimes we feel like the condemnation is coming from the church because if the church preaches a godliness, holiness message, there's a standard and we feel as though we fall short. Uh, How ought we be feeling and who ought we be receiving condemnation from? And is there a difference between condemnation and conviction uh, from the Holy Spirit? You know, God actually convicting us of our own behaviours. Thoughts here, Gary? Yeah, I think if we start from the point that we, we will never be more than forgiven sinners this side of the new creation, will not be perfect. We need all the help we can get. So if in the context of our church family, we live a life that is open to other people saying, you know, that might have been a bit sharp, what you said there. Or, are you sure that was wise? Where we're inviting people to ask us those questions and then that we're actually thinking them through. We're taking seriously the possibility that they may need to say something that's a bit hard to us uh, to enable us to grow, to repent, to seek forgiveness, but then to press on. But there's a very big difference between someone putting their arm around us and and saying what might be an uncomfortable word out of concern and asking a question and encouraging us to do business with God and someone condemning us because they have a set of rules and we aren't conforming to those to those rules but we mustn't let the wrongness of of the latter take us away from the the preciousness of having family around us who care for us who ask us hard questions because we all fall short uh, we're all on the same side of the ledger aren't we yeah. uh, and so is it valuable gary that when you're in the circumstance uh, just like david is sharing to recognize that this is God's standards, uh, not our standards, and yep. uh, we're not to be necessarily judgmental of yep. others. We might set the standard, we might preach the standard, we might teach the standard, but that personal condemnation, that's not necessarily that's, the role of the believer, is it? No, it's not our job. We're, we're not the judge of all the earth. Um, and I think I think one practical way of, of reminding ourselves and enabling other people to helpfully speak to us is actually to get on the front foot and to ask people if if we have any doubts say do you think i spoke too harshly there you know was i too aggressive uh, did i make that about me <laughs> but we're asking our brothers and sisters to help us which makes it much easier i think for the kind of conversations we need to have to go on without that kind of censorious legalistic condemnation I want to thank David in Casino for his great input today. And uh, before we take another call, uh, the thought of gentleness. Yeah. And I know that our listeners will be able to hear a gentleness in your voice. And sometimes we think that that gentleness is the way that everyone ought to talk to people in church. But not everyone's gentle. Uh, some people are very <laughs> abrasive. Some yeah. people are, you know, they shoot from the hip. Uh, they tell it like it is, yeah. and that can actually be you can you can be hurt by those things. Where does gentleness fit into the equation? Do you think? 
I'm, I'm just delighted you said I was gentle. I think it's the first time for everything. For everything. Um, I, I think there are, there are lots. We all have a responsibility to be gentle. However, there are other times we all have a responsibility to stand and speak boldly, clearly for the gospel. How do we decide which is which, when to do which? Again, that's a matter of lifelong wisdom and following the Lord Jesus and knowing we will get it wrong as often as we get it right. But I think what what we mustn't do is just go, I'm a gentle person, so I never speak up. I never have hard conversations. Or, you know, I'm just the kind of person I tell it the way it is, so I can lay waste to everything around me without really bothering about it. When you see the Lord Jesus, you see the one who is gentle and lowly. You see the one who turns the money changers' temples over, uh, money changers' tables over in the temple. You see him take on the might of the Roman Empire and not flinch. You see in Jesus that kind of the ultimate human being, who was also God, and he he is our model. That that we actually we're not we don't get off the hook for the things that we find difficult, nor can we just kind of embrace the things that are easy and forget about the rest. I think we we need to seek him, ask God to make make us like the Lord Jesus and all seek to be. I think it's good to work out, you know, are you which side of the line are you going to fall on? Most of us know instinctively if we're more likely to be to say too much, to be too harsh, to make inappropriate jokes or to be the person who doesn't say anything when we should say something. And I think we all need to work on both. So if you're naturally gentle, get ready to learn to be bold. Yes. And if you're naturally bold and sometimes abrasive, uh, learn how to be gentle. Taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Alex in Melbourne. Hi, Alex. Welcome. Uh, thank you, uh, Neil, and uh, thanks for the conversation. As far as being alone or even in prison or having a hard time, if we read the Word of God, it's, it, it can stay with us and and it can help us um, address our problems like uh, Jesus was in the uh, being tempted 40 days and 40 nights, and his answers were, it is written. It is written. So it's very important to have that in our in our lives, even if we're on our own or no one's listening, whatever. And as far as pastors go, I, I still can't understand. Uh, in church, uh, a lot of churches today, they've got... Um, the, 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 the women are called pastors. So I'm thinking, where do they get that from? I mean... What I read in the Bible, Apostle Paul is very, uh, very detailed in 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 what he explains to Timothy to make sure it's all this way according to the Word of God, and so I'm at a loss to find out where they're getting all this from. That's all. That's another point I wanted to raise as well. I've raised it before, but I. I thought I'd better raise it again. I think we might have Thank to have you. another hour-long conversation just to scratch the surface on that whole issue around women. Uh, Gary, do you have a, a brief thought for Alex? Uh, just uh, I think what you say, Alex, about um, hiding the Word of God in your heart is absolutely vital. It's a precious, precious thing to be able to recall uh, the words of Scripture, to get it into our heads every way that we can. 
And I, I think I think that is the key then in seeking to order the life of the church in a way which fits with the with the Bible. So I think um, your contribution would be really helpful in that, and I'd say a loud amen to it. Thanks, Al. Alex, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. We're talking about leaders, and people have a perception of what the leader is. And, yep. and we even said it's not just the senior minister, yep. uh, but it could be people who are involved in the children's ministry, the youth ministry, uh, the young adults, the families, the seniors ministry. But there's another level of leadership which we're all called into, and this fits in with the sorts of things we've been talking here about about being friends with people in church because sometimes there's a pastoral care role that every single person in church has. We think of the pastor or someone who might be qualified like that, but we're all looking out for our brother, like our brother's keeper. There's another biblical expression there. But thoughts here for that person who says, well, I'm not a leader. I can hear what you're saying. Some of this doesn't apply for me. But this friendship, accountability that we have one to another, that's like a pastoral care, isn't it, Gary? Oh, absolutely. I think uh, when every time we gather together, whether it's a small group or church gathering on Sunday, I I think we actually have a responsibility when we get up in the morning, not just to say, kind of, Lord, speak to me, feed me this week, but actually to enable me to encourage whoever I meet, brothers and sisters, you know, people who are new believers, people who are not yet Christians, so that we, when we meet other people, and in fact, we do this all day, every day, but but particularly when we go to be with other believers, that we're on the front foot and we're saying, okay, how can I encourage this person in the gospel? Because I tell you, what I need when I get out of bed in the morning and when I go to bed at night, I need to be reminded of the glorious thing that God has done for me in Christ. I've been following Jesus a long time. I am still forgetting that. I am not gripped by that every second of the day. What do I need? I don't necessarily need someone who's got a degree in pastoral care or massive insight into the depth of my twisted personality. I do need someone to tell me that Jesus is everything he says he is, that they're following him, and to give me a kind of gentle kick in the pants and encourage me to keep following him too. That's the precious thing about church, but it can only happen when we're actually kind of looking towards the other because God is feeding us through his word and through other people, and we in turn are speaking the gospel into their lives. If we're looking for a image of what this godliness looks like, Gary, uh, we are looking to the senior minister in our church. We, we, yep. we hope that that's a, a good image of godliness. If we're looking at an image of godliness from the scriptures, something that you might say, well, how does belief translate into the behaviors? What's a good way of looking at things? Uh, I know that Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, this is the way the leaders ought to look. Yep. Any thoughts around uh, Paul and his expectation of leaders uh, from that uh, you know, First Timothy chapter 3? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. When the New Testament speaks about leaders, it, it talks about some very mundane things. You know, it's what you're like at home, you know, with your wife, with your family, how you relate to other members of the church. So it is, do you live out the gospel and do you speak the gospel into the lives of others? And there seems to be something solid and dependable um, and authentic about leaders. 
that should be the first thing that we're looking for because essentially, certainly in you know the level of First Timothy, we're talking about leaders who are the shepherds of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ who look after the church in, a, in the long term. You know, and even, you know, like we have a dog, you know, we have a Labradoodle. You know, we're a bit picky about who we leave the dog with for you know, a couple of weeks if we go on holiday. The Lord Jesus, in a sense, is entrusting his church to people. So what are we looking for? Actually, we're looking for people who are solid and dependable and who live and speak and think like the Lord Jesus. I've got that passage of Scripture in front of me. Is that uh, something you think we might uh, we might read out? First Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 7. So if you're looking at uh, the leader, and uh, in my NIV version here, Paul talks about the overseer. He says, the overseer then must be above reproach. That's that dependable, uh, authentic, genuine, uh, integrity person you're talking about, Gary. The husband of one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, an able teacher, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not contentious, free from the love of money, must manage his own household well and keep his children in control without losing his dignity. But if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for the church of God? He must not be a recent convert, or he may be arrogant and fall into the punishment that the devil will exact. And he must be well thought of by those outside the faith, so that he may not fall into disgrace and be caught by the devil's trap. So very important, very pointed, uh, a picture of what some might say is the ideal sort of leader in a church. Is that a fair enough way to, to think of Paul's writing like that? Yep, I think so. I mean, in a way, it's it's all very sensible. It's saying he's got to be the real deal, you know, that there shouldn't be any massive gaps. He's not talking about perfection. He's not saying, you know, has has any of his children ever been, you know, misbe- ever, ever misbehaved in church? But he's saying when you look at the person, when you look at the family, when you look at the man in society, when you see him at work, when you see him with his neighbours, are there any red flags or is he someone who is actually living out the gospel? Wonderful insights over this past hour, Gary, and uh, great insight into uh, what godliness is. Um, you know, there are consequences for not getting that right. Uh, there's this challenge, isn't there, before us uh, to have the rhythm of our lives that points us to a godly direction. But before I let you go... Some listeners might remember when we had a conversation, I think it might have been late last year, and uh, at the Queensland Theological College, you were going through a little crisis because even though the college is a very old college, has a long, long history, uh, through some circumstances, there was a risk to uh, you losing your building, your uh, infrastructure around the Bible college. And and I uh, and I wonder whether you've got a little update for us because you know I think there's some some amazing things have happened, haven't they? Yes, they have. Um, the our parent denomination went into receivership, and the upshot was we had to raise eight million dollars in the second half of last year in order to buy the building for a a new company, a new QTC company. Um, we had never raised anything essentially in the past. God, in his kindness, enabled us uh, to buy the building. At the beginning of this year, we raised over $5 million. We're able, through the generosity of the Christian community, to borrow uh, the rest of the money to get us over the line. Uh, There was just one day 
things were getting very tight and the student body in the morning prayed that God would uh, provide us with a million dollars, which was how far short we thought we were. I think we prayed and then didn't think too much about it. At four o'clock that afternoon, someone came into my office I'd never met before. I gave him a brief update as to what the the situation was. I said, have you any questions? He said, no. And there was a silence. And I actually <laughs> thought, what, what are you doing in my office? And then he said, uh, you know, we, we would like to give a million dollars to the building. Uh, the building project. And I'm not speechless very often, but I was speechless and I just said, said, thank you. Went outside, met one of my colleagues and said, he said, what are you looking so happy about? He said, well, you know, (laughs) you know that $1 million we prayed for this morning? He said, God's just provided it. And he smiled and said, ah, I knew we should have prayed for two. But was, uh, <laughs> in all seriousness, God God was immensely kind. And we're so thankful to be there in our own building, not going anywhere, continuing the work under God of equipping leaders for the next generation. Well, I know a couple of students who are studying under your leadership, Gary, and, uh, you know, you be encouraged. Uh, they love you as a leader. Uh, Gary Miller is principal at the Queensland Theological College. You might want to connect with Gary today. You can through the website qtc.edu.au Gary's also quite a well-known author of theological books and I think you've done a lot of writing Gary but I know that at the beginning of 2020 uh, the Good Book Company published your book Need to Know on the Christian Life and then soon followed by Second Corinthians for You and I know your latest work, a major commentary on the book of Deuteronomy and uh, that's all out and people can get a hold of that now? Uh, Deuteronomy, I think, will be out later this year. Okay, it's that's coming a, sometime. <laughs> it's coming. All right. Okay, wonderful. And, uh, Gary, thank you so much for taking some time. Let's hope we can do this again sometime soon and we'll tackle some of those really good issues that uh, you're so strong on. Thank you so much for joining us on 2020. Thank you for having me. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.